Hey everyone, happy Women's History Month. I know I am looking to and celebrating all of the women who have come before me and paved the way for me to be able to live the life that I do now. And also thinking about all of the women in the world that do not have the options and choices that many of us do in the West. Um, Certainly, there's still a lot of women that are oppressed and um, held down even in the West, but there's so much happening in the world to women. And I really believe that we have to continue on this path of rising up and supporting each other, supporting ourselves and our own bodies through taking good care of ourselves. Put your body and your mental health and your emotional health and your physical health first. And you can only give from a cup that is full and overflowing, not from one that has nothing in it. So this is a good reminder to take care of yourself and then you can help to take care of those in the world. And, you know, I have huge goals of being able to support women in different parts of the world to empower them, um, to help them in whatever ways they need help and not the ways that I think that they need help. So that's just a little note from me on this Women's History Month. We've come so far and yet we have so far to go. So on that note, something that is you know, sometimes bothersome for some of my clients, sometimes they don't even seem bothered by it. <laughs> which is is kind of sad in some ways, right? And understandable. But that is a lowered libido or lack of sex drive. And because this is such a big issue that I see across the board, I know that I really ended up having that for myself uh, post-surgery. So any kind of trauma that happens really just takes a woman or cycling person's sex drive and just really plummets it, right? And it doesn't need to be that way. So I'm offering a workshop called Bringing Sexy Back, Kickstarting a Lagging Sex Drive, and it is happening on April 19th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Basically, we're going to cover everything that is the reasons underlying reasons of why your sex drive has lowered, including how stress impacts your sex drive and how to start to shift that ASAP, uh, which hormones play the biggest role in your sex drive and how they change over not only your cycle, but over time in your life, food and supplements that will naturally support an increased libido and act as aphrodisiacs. And then certainly we're going to cover lifestyle changes to help bring your sexy back and energetic practices that help you come into your body, which is a huge part of it too. So we're really going to take a holistic p- approach to the diminishing sex drive that many women encounter, you know, post 35, particularly into their 40s and even into their 50s um, as we go through the changes that happen at this time of life. So I'm excited to share all this info with you, support your inner fire coming back. So join us on April 19th. Just head to my website, christinegarvin.com. And if you go to the top of the page, the homepage, you can see the link to sign up for the workshop. There's also going to be the link in the show notes this week. So you can also grab your spot there. It is limited Um, seating in this. So uh, even if you can't make the time, if you go ahead and sign up, then you get the recording sent to you right afterwards and you will be part of that limited seating, even though 
and you aren't making it at that time. So we have to um, keep a limit for this one. So I say go grab it if you're feeling it and you need a little bit of support in that area. Bringing it back to Women's History Month, it's also Endometriosis Awareness Month. So I think that this is fabulous that these coincide because there are so many women who go undiagnosed with endometriosis. It can take up to 10 years in many cases to get diagnosed with endometriosis. So there's a lot of girls and women who are walking around right now in complete and utter pain and they don't understand why. And so it is so essential that we start to focus earlier on the possibility of endometriosis so women can get the support and help that they need. And we're really talking about how much endometriosis impacts a woman's life in today's episode with our guest and everything that, you know, it brings on the side of not knowing that you have it. And then what happens when you do find out that you have it and the whole process of working with endometriosis is certainly not a simple one. And then there's also the impacts that it can have on things like fertility. And there's a lot of grief when it comes to issues with our reproductive organs, right? And our reproductive system, because it can impact us in so many different ways. And so we're really covering all of that in today's episode. It's really a beautiful tribute, honestly, to this month of everything that women have gone through for all of time and the major issues that we're facing, particularly with healthcare in this day and age. So I'm excited for you to listen to this episode. Hey there, and welcome to Hormonally Speaking. I'm your host, Christine Garvin, a functional health coach. Each week, I speak with an incredible guest expert on all things women's hormones. We're here to empower you to take back control of your body, health, and well-being, and to learn about the latest in research and solutions when it comes to getting your hormones happy. No part of this podcast should be construed as medical advice, and we always recommend working with a professional practitioner to figure out what's best for your body. Now let's dive in with today's guest. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Hormonally Speaking. We've got a special episode for you today that is, um, to me, I wanted to speak with this guest because she's had such a fascinating journey in terms of her own hormonal health and all the sort of ups and downs that she's experienced within our medical system and how that took her to a different place in her own life and her own work and the journey that got her to where she is today and the kind of work that she's doing in supporting women um, and cycling beings in the world now. So I'm super excited to talk with Tiffany Naren, who is a writer, poet, postpartum and bereavement doula living in the mountains of North Carolina on Cherokee ancestral land. She holds a bachelor's degree in communications from the University of North Carolina in Asheville, as well as a master's certificate in narrative medicine and brings countless hours of training and lived experience to her work in writing, compassionate communication, and bereavement support. She holds monthly women's grief circles and works with clients individually, creating space to allow the more painful stories of the body forward. She blends poetry, breathwork, narrative medicine, somatic centering, and an integration techniques alongside creative healing arts modalities to meet her community in their grief, creating a warm, nurturing, safe space for witness and integration. You can find out more at TiffanyNaren.com. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So 
you know, as I was just saying, I, I think that you have um, what I want to kind of call a unique experience. And yet probably a lot of people out there have um, a somewhat similar experience in navigating, you know, our healthcare system and trying to figure out what's going on with our bodies from a reproductive stance. So let's just start off with your story and your history and kind of what got you here today. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So um, it's impossible to, we were just saying it's impossible to separate that out of um, my own story because my own story first as, as is true for so many people uh, was kind of the, the breaking open of Mm. this, like um, crossing a threshold, this, you know, realizing um, the ways that I wasn't met and wasn't seen and wasn't cared for was the ways that I really needed to like problem solve and understand how do we kind of bridge those divides and, Mm -hmm. and how can I do that for myself? And then how can I do that in my community for others? And Mm -hmm. um, so I guess it, you know, I can kind of go back so, so far because my journey as a woman and in my own like kind of hormonal path began when I was really young and um, and when I first got my cycle, uh, when I was 15 years old and they mm-hmm. were really heavy and really intense and, um, and my mom was so confused of just like, what do we do? You know, eating mm. you Tylenol and letting you mm-hmm. stay in school. And, um, and then fast forward through the years of, of doing that and, um, and then navigating, what this looks like as I grow older and then being diagnosed and then not diagnosed with endometriosis and trying to wrap my head around what that means Mm -hmm. um, with Mm -hmm. that being a very confusing journey Mm -hmm. um, with some doctors naming it and recognizing it as very real and other doctors saying, no, that's not, that's not at all, you know, a a real thing at all. Wow. Wow. Can I ask you really quick before you go on um, the doctors that did diagnose you with endo, you know, was that based symptomatically or was it based surgically? Or, or how did that go? Yeah. So I had a gynecologist early in my life, uh, diagnose me with it based on symptoms and based on pelvic exams, um, mm-hmm. very real evidence that like I had mm-hmm. an issue, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can see it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so she was kind of an early advocate for me that made me feel like, okay, this, this can make sense. Now there's at least a reason that this is happening to me versus people that are just like, Oh, I got my period and going on about their day. Yeah. And you're like, how dare you? <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, and then, and then I guess in the same right, other doctors, um, looking at those same set of symptoms and saying, Oh, well, this is totally normal and mm. you know, take some Tylenol and get back yep. out. There, you know, it's just what it is to be a woman. Yeah. But it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, at one, at some, at one point it's clarifying and, um, and very validating. And then in the other uh, half of that, very confusing because it wasn't a shared agreement by doctors I was seeing in my young adulthood. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think the average is eight years before a woman will get diagnosed with endometriosis, you know, and um, I would say really just in the past couple of years, maybe five years, has the spotlight been on it enough 
for it to be a more common thing to talk to your OBGYN about for them to look for and that kind of thing. So you've had years and years and years of women dealing with it, having no idea that they have it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. My, my grandmother, um, because we have a long line of women in my family that face similar hormonal issues. Every single woman in my family has had a hysterectomy. Wow. Wow. My cousins, my aunts, um, my grandmother, everyone. So, um, you know, there's been this kind of like, Oh, me too. Um, and, and also, you know, when I talk to the elder women in my family, they're like, well, this talk wasn't a talk that we were having. Right. When no we were discussions. No, yeah. yeah. You mm-hmm. just, it was that like, oh, well, you're a woman, you know, mm-hmm. this is part of it. Yeah. Um, oh man. Just, you know, form of it. So, yeah. um, yeah. so grateful that we're in a time where there is a lot more awareness and advocacy and there are a lot more, uh, women and, um, ministering people coming to the table to say, um, you know, I need answers. We need yeah. support. Yeah. Um, and a lot of funding around it too. So yeah, finally that's starting to happen. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So w- did you get to a point then where you were, okay, I'm officially do have endometriosis or officially don't have endometriosis. What was the, yeah, yeah. I kind of accepted that at a certain point and was like, okay, um, you know, this feels right for me mm-hmm. because all the signs and symptoms are there. Mm-hmm. And also, um, you know, what do I do with it was still the bigger question of right. like, well, that's great. And that's helpful. But even looking at all the endometriosis related information is like, what there's no cure. Um, there's surgery. Mm-hmm to be kind of the only like uh, sure yeah yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah just, as so many things with reproductive health oh, that kind of just comes down to just do surgery just take it out yeah yeah totally which I've always been um just really reluctant to do as someone that thought I want to have children at some point in my life I'd like to explore that um and uh I want to see a more holistic way of like how can I sustainably move through this in my life mm-hmm. and learn how to be with this set of circumstances that I have and mm-hmm. um and so you know I found tens devices and herbal treatments and mm-hmm. started you know walking the path of how do I sustainably meet myself with this set of symptoms you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah so then at what point did things start to really shift and change for you, either sort of in the positive or negative way? Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's been like this kind of like circular, like a seasonal thing mm-hmm. where like the second I really feel like I've got it dialed in, mm-hmm. then something happens um, and I can't always pinpoint it and I, there's like a disruption, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. something is triggering mm-hmm. that then all the symptoms are set off again and periods mm-hmm. worse and all these things, the bloating is worse, um, mm-hmm. cysts are, are growing larger than they should, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. my gynecologist can detect them and I'm back in that same like, you know, oh shit, what do I, you know, why mm-hmm. is this happening? And I thought I had this dialed in, right. um, in 2019, there was a really clear, um, a strong ovarian, two ovarian cysts had overgrown on my ovaries and were to the point where it was like, you know, we're going to have to do surgery. Mm-hmm. We're talking about hysterectomy again. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, no, 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 no. You know, mm-hmm. like how, how is this possible? And what else can I do? I've been navigating this and, um, 
and layer in that I'm two months pregnant. Uh, I was pregnant at the time. And so how do I navigate this with this new information? Right. Um, and the answers were still the same, you know, the solutions were still the same of, well, we can do the surgery Mm -hmm. or you can continue to, you know, see how you see how you do with this. Mm -hmm. We don't recommend. So Um, you had the cysts while you were pregnant. Yes. That was going on. Okay. Simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah, It was before. And then I got pregnant. Right. And then I'm sure because of the higher estrogen and everything that. Yeah. Hormones were totally wacko. And um, there was a lot of stress in that time. And it's kind of hard to separate out. It's like, you know, you're, you're stressed, you're, this is happening before, which is stressful. And you're having yeah. to go to the doctor so much more, which causes more stress. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, how do I get back in to like maintain this balance in my body? And, mm-hmm. and that is um, not an easy thing. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so then what happened next? Yeah. So then I was in and out of the hospital, having these looked at, um, having the cysts looked at, Um, I was in and out of the hospital just for um, appointments with my gyno and kind of checking on the pregnancy. And, um, and then they said, okay, we're going to do a laparoscopic surgery. Um, It won't harm your pregnancy. This will all be okay. And, um, and so, you know, I felt confident in that said, okay, let's just go this route. And when I went in for the laparoscopic surgery, um, I was just a a wreck. Um, Yeah you know, of, of having to go through that process and not knowing, even though yeah. there was reassurance, you'll be okay. And, um, and it, it, it ended up being okay. The laparoscopic surgery, everything went fine. Um, and, and I miscarried and after um, the surgery, after the yeah. surgery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many different reasons of right. why and how right. it was in kind of in, in that early termination time at two yeah. months and, you know, um, and I learned all of that later, but it was devastating and yeah. didn't help kind of the processing of what just happened and why, and, um, what do I do moving forward? You know, yeah. is, is this, yeah. like, um, is this something that's going to happen again? How can I break this cycle? I still had a lot of questions, maybe more questions. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to pause for a moment for anybody listening that has had a miscarriage and what, you know, an obviously heartbreaking experience that is when you want to have, you know, a child. And then on top of the fact of you are already experiencing trauma, having to go to the doctor that much, you know, and I, I definitely can understand that and the PTSD that forms, right? Because you're like, it's not like you come out of there better most of the time, right? It's just kind of leads to more questions. And, um, and that that's something that, you know, we all um, need, if we go through an experience like that, it's like really being cognizant of the impact that it can have on us. Right. And, and I know we don't all have access to therapy and everything, but, you know, to do what you can in order to get support in that process, because it really, can impact you for the long term, right? If you're not able to, to, to work with it and through it and process it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was, um, that was part of that confusion of just kind of being spit out of the medical system and like sent home and it's like, okay, you know, good luck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, well, my body's still hurting and I'm grieving and, um, and I still don't fully understand how I move forward with this, you know? Um, yeah. so just all, all of the, um, 
questions and and what I later really identified as as a lot of grief that I was holding and like didn't know how to process and who to process that with like it's not my medical team clearly mm-hmm, um, but right. I also wanted people that knew enough about those processes and knew enough about you know loss and all these different things to hold space with me mm-hmm. um, so then became this like journey of of like where do I find these people and you know how am I connecting the dots for myself how am I mm-hmm. for myself right um, right and and I just want to also acknowledge how hard it can be to be an advocate for yourself when you're in the middle of that process too you know and it's like that's, you know, my, I think my dream for this country among many different things that we, we could shift and change is for everybody to have an advocate that, that goes into the hospital, right? Because um, particularly in our healthcare system now that it's just packing the amount of patients per doctor and nurse and everything, you know, and it's not, I don't even blame the doctors and nurses because it's a system that is putting way too much on them too. Right. And, and then, so we have so many people that are languishing because they don't have somebody to advocate for them. You know, I went through that myself in the hospital and also with others that have gone to the hospital where I've ended up being the advocate, you know? So, um, you know, I, I know for your, for you, obviously advocating for yourself is kind of what got you to doing the work that you're doing now, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that was really intense and tough for you to have to go through at that time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, um, it was messy. It was just like a really messy, empowering, you mm-hmm. know, mix of, of things that's like, oh, I found someone and I found this resource and why did you know, I had to like really search, mm-hmm. um, and do a lot of searching in the middle of feeling really like disempowered and, mm-hmm. and hurting in my body still, and mm-hmm. trying really hard just to go through the motions of working and, you know, being back at work and yeah. like taking care of life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. And like, it, it's not, it wasn't necessarily something where it was like, Oh, you're given some time off work, you know, like a a real passing. And so there was like this kind of unnamed grief. So it felt like I was in some weird liminal space and um, yeah. And I had to really fight to find the things that I found Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for me that was like mm-hmm. oh you know what endometriosis is and you believe in advocating for for folks with it and mm-hmm. have real resources for folks with mm-hmm. with endometriosis or mm-hmm. you, know, he, you people here like know what it's like to to lose a child and, mm-hmm. and early loss and there's you know here's this group that can really nurture me and and witness me mm-hmm. in that process mm-hmm. and so it was like yes 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 yeah. Just need to like do these things every day and you know cry and yeah. (laughs) Um, What were some of the things that you found that were helpful? I guess at that point, post miscarriage with the endometriosis, um, that were you know really supportive for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I found the Endometriosis Foundation of America. I think it's Endometriosis Foundation of America. Uh, and they have tons of resources on their website. Mm-hmm. And I was able to find groups, different support groups and connect with other women where we were like on calls together and, you know, telling our stories. And um, it was just so nurturing and supportive. I, I didn't think I would be able to find something like that. So mm-hmm. specifically for me that um, I, I really needed that. And everyone had 
experiences of different kinds of struggles and loss and pain and just this ongoing kind of confusion web mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. triosis of mm-hmm. you know how do I kind of navigate life with this and um and I started taking some um there was a combination of like workshops of like uh, around loss early loss and and miscarriage and um, holding space, holding space for yourself and then learning to hold space for others. Because mm-hmm. I was, I did, I think it took me a lot, a while to step into that holding space for others. There was a good mm-hmm. year where it was just how to hold space for myself. Yeah. You're like, I don't have that capacity. Thanks anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You're going to just cry on your shoulder or yeah. you know, can you hold space for me? Because mm-hmm. you know, my nervous system's a wreck. And, mm-hmm. and so the, yeah, those were my two main kind of focus areas for myself was around miscarriage and and grief and around endometriosis and kind of hormonal support with mm. other folks that knew that mm-hmm. were there you know dietary changes um mm-hmm. any particular supplements or anything like that that you found was really useful for you yeah yeah I um kind of after the the six months I've, I was led into working with an endocrinologist and the endocrinologist had all kinds of like very like factual information for me based on my blood work mm-hmm. and was able to say, well, actually, you know, um, your body is having flare ups when it comes to dairy and alcohol and gluten and, mm-hmm. you know, and now I know that a lot of those are pretty common triggers for mm-hmm. folks endometriosis Mm -hmm. but you have to just unravel the layers absolutely and And you kind of have to hear sometimes that it's helpful with testing right to see on the test like okay this is like legit yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and I think that was really um I I think I needed that most of Mm -hmm. all it wasn't just like a a random suggestion that I read on the internet it was like here's your blood work here's your body and this is how your body's responding to some of these things so like one by one started weeding out those to see, yeah. okay, well, how, how is my body feeling now? Yeah. And there was a huge shift yeah, and yeah. how mm-hmm. I was feeling that pain each month and, um, and, and tracking my cycles, huge shift over the next year of like how I felt in my body and how no more ovarian cysts, no more overgrown ovarian yeah. cysts. We all have ovarian cysts, but I was not reaching pain points of feeling the, right. that in my right. body. So, right. um, yeah, that yeah. was huge. Yeah. And first of all, I want to say it's awesome that you found an endocrinologist like that, right? Because they're not all that good. Yeah, right. um, you know, like there's some great ones out there, but there's, it can be lacking sometimes in their sort of expanded knowledge. But, you know, just for people listening, you know, I mean, I obviously talk about fibroids a lot, but in a lot of senses, ovarian cysts are kind of stemming from the same kind of place. And, you know, so much of why, I mean, dairy, we know is inflammatory to many people's systems, you know, just, um, it's just a sort of common thing with the the casein in there, but um, particularly around hormones, it can kick stuff up. But, you know, I always, I often go back to how is your body detoxifying or metabolizing estrogen, right? Because if it's not able to do that well, that is when we have what I call growths, like fibroids and cysts and polyps and things like that in our, you know, reproductive system. And so, um, you know, something like cutting out alcohol, because the liver has to detoxify alcohol first and foremost, 
you know, your hormones get pushed to the back of the line and particularly estrogen, we really want to make sure it's being metabolized or detoxified well. So you cut out that alcohol, then that helps estrogen move up, you know, um, gluten has such an inflammatory reaction for so many people too. And that inflammation, you know, impacts uh, the processing. So there's, it's all of this, like, you know, people were like, oh, that's just a fad to like cut these things out. But it's like, it's a very direct, you know, correlation to how our hormones are working in our body. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it just keeps going. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I do know, um, that I've had doctors send some, you know, you could have a drink here and there. It's not going mm-hmm. to totally throw you over, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it was easier for me to just cut it out and Cold then I could lost yeah. the taste for it. And, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm good. You yeah. Know, yeah. I'm really okay without that. Um, and honestly, there's, I mean, there's so many studies coming out right now about how even any amount of alcohol really isn't good for us. You know, it's not good for our brain health. It's not good for lots of different things. And so, um, I mean, I'm certainly, I drink occasionally and you know, I'm not telling people to not drink at all, but, um, I can see, you know, for a lot of people, it is just easier to kind of cut it out across the board because it's, it's an easy slippery slope, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you have one and then you're like, eh. yeah, you're like, that was okay last night. So I'll have one tonight, you know, and there you go. Yeah, totally. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So you made those changes and then you started to, you know, really calm down. So at this point, you know, you, you basically, the, the only surgery that you had done was that the laparoscopic surgery, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you haven't had to have hysterectomy. I have not, but yeah. it has been suggested again and it again, continues especially to be now that I'm 38. Mm. Um, it wasn't as much. And, you know, when I was younger, they really don't right. suggest that, yeah. but once you go over 30, they're like, right. well, have you thought Yep. You, you shouldn't be having kids anyway. So let's just take it out. It's the only right. purpose for it being there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. mm-hmm. So, so do you still have some issues coming up with it monthly at this point? Yeah. I, yeah. you know, it, I, it's not a, like a perfect, like, Oh, now I'm yeah. like, yeah, of course. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an like, autoimmune oh. disorder. So it's like, it's there. Therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've done so much like kind of genealogy and family mm-hmm. history, unpacking aspects of, um, like, uh, hypothyroidism runs in mm-hmm. The women in my family as well so we have um chronic kind of underactive thyroids surprise yeah. you know surprise surprise yep mm-hmm. <laughs> so like how do i meet that aspect of what my my that na- hormonal regulation in my body mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is a whole other mm-hmm. aspect that i had to kind of like learn to sort out and then mm-hmm. the nervous system regulation i notice um especially like looking to my mom you know your family's your greatest teachers and um you know this tendency to be more um like act in an activated state yeah and um and maybe that's you know I've thought of it in so many different ways but Irish lineage and working class you know people, sure mm-hmm. um, that were kind of hardwired to be like let's go let's let's go yep. go go and um and that that kind of constant triggered state also mm-hmm. lends itself to this, you know, system, mm-hmm. hormonal system that's like triggering all these responses in my body. So, right. Right. And, you know, I, I also talk about this a lot for people, but the, you know, if, if people don't know, you know, our, our endocrine, our endocrine system, really, if you think about it, the, the big aspects of it are ovaries, you know, in, in um, those of us that can reproduce 
and then our thyroid and our adrenals, right? And it's all controlled essentially in the brain. The brain is the one giving all the signals and your body is always going to um, focus on keeping you alive first and foremost. And so that is where, if we're in that stress response, that fight, flight, or freeze response, you know, that, that sort of nervous system up, up here, you know, there's a focus, your brain's like, all right, we're keeping you alive. We're pumping out that cortisol and we're going to what we call down regulate your sex hormone production in your ovaries. Right. So it's, this is why I always talk about first and foremost, when you're working with hormonal issues, you've got to work essentially with your adrenals. You've got to work with your nervous system because you can't skirt around it and make your estrogen and progesterone work like perfectly. You know, it's, it's like, it, it comes back to that again and again. And, um, I think the point that you made, like the genealogy is such a huge, important part, you know, the specific genetics, you know, and how we actually process stress in our DNA, you know, is hugely important. And we live in a culture that is constant go, 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 and um, really uh, elevates that, right, mm -hmm. in so many ways. And so it's, it's tough to kind of go against the grain and do much relaxing or <laughs> taking time off or any of those kinds of things. So it's like you have all of those places to consider along with trauma. We do know, you know, that trauma lives in our tissues essentially and, and can cause that too. So these are all, you know, places worth looking at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no problem. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Got that taken care of in like a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So in other words, it's a constant process. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> yeah. So mm -hmm. tell us more about, you know, the work that you have, that you're doing now. I mean, there's such a, um, as you know, we kind of talked about in the, before we got on, it's like you um, really crafted your own way rather than kind of going the traditional routes in terms of maybe, you know, healthcare training. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, it kind of just, became me after a while the way this does you know yeah. where you're like well now I'm on a healing journey as I continue to explore all of these things I need more space in my life mm -hmm. for healing and regulating and um and I naturally want other people to have that too mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and, um and so in weaving all these threads I did a lot of um a lot of trainings and uh, kind of poured myself into my work for, for, you know, the last, for the first year and a half, and I'm still doing training. It's probably always, you know, always learning. Mm -hmm. um, but kind of crafting of approaching, well, how do we hold these things together? How do mm -hmm. we hold space for loss and trauma and grief? How do we process and integrate um, culture? really how do we make space for it mm -hmm. um, and what is my approach to navigate that so it feels a little bit less just like we're in an emotional sea you know mm -hmm. um and so mm -hmm. yeah so I um I did a lot of studying in somatic polyvagal theory body-based how do we come back into our body mm -hmm. how do we uh, how do we access our own felt sense of embodiment um, and pairing that with my background in communications, of course, and um, studying narrative medicine of how do we tell our stories? How do we uh, 
come vulnerably, you know, with our stories to a space where we feel safe and held and can co-regulate co mm -hmm. our nervous system with another regulated nervous system in a safe space. Mm -hmm. um, and so kind of partnering those things to find a way through and and how how I hold space mm -hmm. um, for one person and for groups. And, um, and I really love, I love both of those for different reasons. I love one-on-one -on -one space because um, you really get that co-regulation co mm -hmm. and you can really like dive deep with one person and their nervous system mm -hmm. and their trauma. And in group spaces, there's a really beautiful, like shared felt sense mm -hmm. that everyone can touch and hold and realize like, oh, we're all having like vastly different and similar experiences, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Wow. Wow. And then how did, do, where does the doula part come in? Yeah. Yeah. The doula work started as grief doula work naturally mm -hmm. and wanting to hold space for other birthing people that have had early loss and uh, experienced child loss. And, and so realizing that there wasn't a, a in-person space in my community where folks could feel represented and held like where is there a place I can go and and that was what I was looking for you know for mm -hmm. so long mm -hmm. where do I go with this you know yeah. there's crisis centers everywhere yeah. um and but there's no place that I can see mental health therapists perhaps right um, but I couldn't really find that that in between of like, well, I have a therapist, um, they're wonderful, but you know, where is a place that I could go and, um, and have someone that really knows this experience and mm -hmm. with me and feels, you know, within the vein of, of, um, you know, as me as a naturopath and, and someone that holds my life and my values in a certain way, someone that could really hold all of those things. So, um, grief doula work was how it, how the doula work all started. started. Yeah. And I think it's so important. And the reason I brought up doula specifically is because I think a lot of people think, oh, just doula is you're there in the hospital to help, you know, a person give birth or support them in their birthing process. But there's all kinds of doulaing, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, the postpartum yeah. dueling yeah. and all of that. And, um, and it, it makes me think about, you know, how it was done for most of all of time <laughs> in terms of, um, you know, uh, traditional cultures in general, I don't want to say overall, you know, traditional cultures, but probably even, um, you know, in European cultures, it was like women were, I mean, until we had quote unquote, Western medicine developed in, you know, the mid 19th century, um, it was really women that were doing the birthing and, and supporting each other in that birthing process, you know? And so we really have lost that sort of community connection, right. And support, which I think is partly why it's so hard to just, even if you have a healthy baby, yeah, it's yeah. so hard in this Absolutely. culture. Yeah. yeah. That's what led into postpartum was like, well, everyone's holding this like grief yeah. you know, in a different yep. way. Of, right. um, well, maybe you did have a child, but now you, there's this like loss of a sense of self and where yeah. do I, and what is my new life now? And, yeah. you know, a lot of the tools are, you're depleted as hell. Cause you just gave oh, birth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So mm -hmm. like a lot of the tools I found are the same, you know, right. some are very specific and yet a lot of them, um, 
are, are very similar of like, how do we come back into ourselves? How do we hold ourselves? How do, how are we held mm-hmm. by someone else to help even find that? Oh, this is what I need. Or this mm-hmm. is my, this is my felt sense of, um, of my needs or you just, or just giving you time to rest and be with, mm-hmm. you, you know, um, mm-hmm. which is like such an honor to, to hold that space and to help someone find that, um, for themselves. Is it ever hard for you having gone through, you know, the experience that you went through? Yeah. People ask me that a lot. And, <laughs> and I mean, hell yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is. You know, I have to have my own space. I hold a lot of healing space for myself yeah. to you know, not take on other folks' stories and right. um, to really process out after I've held space with someone and, and kind of clear my own energy and come back into myself so like you know it, it's interesting doing this work is like it requires so much more space help for yourself yeah. too yeah um, yeah to to navigate holding that for other people right right and I I think that's really important for you know any maybe newer practitioner that's listening um because any kind of practice where you're really trying to be there for someone else and hold space for others like it can be, even if it's not triggering per se, it can be super draining. And so it becomes more important to set up these, these systems for yourself, you know, whatever kind of support that you need from elsewhere and, um, and what you need to do to kind of, yeah, let, let go of the stuff that you sort of maybe take on in the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And making sure that you aren't, um, somehow like imprinting that on someone else, my own experience that I can show up um, because I won't show up if I feel like I emotionally can't, or, you know, my nervous system can't take it, then, you know, I'll let someone else know, Hey, I need to reschedule or let's Mm -hmm. do this another day. Um, Equally as important is that you have someone that can show up for you and not, isn't, isn't shared. Right. Or cause then you're with a friend. That's what happens when you're with a friend is just, you know, we relate, we want to right. relate. Right, um, right, right. Absolutely. But as a practitioner, you're showing up as, um, as someone with a regulated nervous system that, mm-hmm. that can just hold what you're bringing to the table and help mm-hmm. navigate. How do we, how do we move through this? How does this feel? You know, that holding space mm-hmm. is holding space for someone to process and be with that grief mm-hmm. and with that grief. And mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm glad that you brought up sort of your modeling and letting uh, people know that, you know, that you can say today's not working for me. Can we reschedule? You know, I think this is such an important thing um, that's coming up in discussions more recently, right? We were such in this like hustle mode for so long. And, and I know within my own business, like there's so many times where it's like, I really, right now, I'm not going to do my best, right. To like show up, but I, but I did. And, you know, and that's fine sometimes, but really I like that we're moving into honoring that, um, and saying, I want to do the best for both this other person and myself. So, you know, today's not it let's reschedule and that that's more than okay to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard because it's like flying in the face of capitalism. Yep. Yep. 
like, well, this is our culture. And so yep. how do I make space in a, in a society that's saying that's not how you, you know, like, yep. that's not how you absolutely. Do yeah. It's, it's radical work really, you yeah. know, and it's not yeah. easy. So, um, you know, props to, to talking about it and, and modeling it. So, um, at this point, are you, are you able to get pregnant if, um, yeah. Okay. So is that yeah. something that you're yeah, my, me and my husband are trying right now okay. actually and uh seeing speak if that's of the devil <laughs> yeah right yeah. um yeah. and you know we um we're just going to see where that leads us we have kind of a time limit mm-hmm. on how much time we're going to spend there and mm-hmm. you know for for our own nervous systems and well-being yeah. that um and we already know kind of like how we want to navigate that and what what we feel like we want to do and don't want to do. And, mm-hmm. and then, uh, if it turns out that we can't, then, you know, then we'll take a big trip to Hawaii and, you know, and move on with, with yeah. our experience. So, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, interestingly, so many people told me, no, you can't, no, you can't at all after these experiences that you've that had. That you couldn't get pregnant. The mm-hmm. doctor's telling you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You're too old. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you're ovarian cysts, your endometriosis, mm-hmm. all these things, you right. know, impossible. Like don't right. even think about it. <laughs> Did you come across a doctor that said, oh, it is possible? Finally? Yeah, I found yeah. A, a great gynecologist that, you know, uh, w- was like, you know, it, it is very possible. And yeah. We yeah. can run all the tests and basically show you why it is very possible. And right. um, there's a lot of different ways that can happen. So yeah. let's, let's see if that's possible for you. And Yeah, I, th- I find it so interesting because I think, you know, just the, starting at that place of, oh, you're over 35, right? Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. already telling you, even though that's really not based. I mean, it's so individual, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's not based on any kind of real fact. But um, then, yeah, they're like, oh we're just looking at this, what you've been through. And so it's not going to happen rather than, you know, really look at the specifics of what's happening in your body. And again, that's where testing can be really helpful. Right. And really show you Mm -hmm. um, instead of just discarding based on sort of your past history and everything. And yeah, I mean, and all the work that you do to take care of yourself, you know, I mean, it's amazing what the body can do. Absolutely. Yes, it is. And, you know, it's interesting how much um, that kind of like over that very generic kind of chart read and then a Mm -hmm. dismissive, you know, answer Mm -hmm. is given. And it's like, well, what are you facing that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Right. It's their own preconceived notions. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That it may be hard for them. (laughs) Right. right, (laughs) Yeah. Or you just learn to give that answer based on looking at these, like you said, you know, based on mm-hmm. looking at, oh, you're over 35, you've had endometriosis, mm-hmm. you've had a miscarriage, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this incredible information with us today. I know that, you know, there's certainly some some people listening that um, can identify with with some of what you've talked about. And, um, you know, at first I'd, let's say, how can people work with you if they're interested in working with you? Yeah. Yeah. You, um, can reach out to me. I have my, my website that's more around my writing work and communication work. 
is uh, tiffanynair.com, but A Light in the Valley is all of my resourcing work around somatic practices. So I do one-on-one sessions with uh, with women and birthing persons and grief work sessions. And I host some monthly workshops that I announce on my Light in the Valley Instagram page. So nice. Uh, and can people work with you um, wherever they are kind of a thing, or does it need to yeah, a whole like... virtual sessions? Okay. Um, I'm moving studios right now within Mars Hill for quite a bit, but I'm changing studio spaces. So virtually is primarily my, my mood right now. I do have a lot of upcoming in-person workshops. If you're in Western North Carolina, um, I'm holding some spaces and different wellness facilities and, um, and those are all listed on my website too. It's nice. Great. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this work because I think, you know, it's um, certainly, as we talked about earlier, when we go through these, uh, our own experiences, you know, often it will lead us into doing that kind of work, supporting others, but it doesn't mean it's easy, you know, Um, and, you know, so it's, I think a lot of people like, they're like, oh, you came out of this horrible situation and now you're doing this amazing work in the world. I mean, I hear that all the time. And I'm like, yeah, it's not like pretty and clean and all, you know, perfect. <laughs> like that sounds, you know, it's like, I will always deal with some of the repercussions of what I went through, you know, and, and how that impacts me and that, you know, plays into work too. So it's like, you got to keep on, as we've talked about, you got to keep on doing the healing work for yourself. You know, yeah. it isn't just like, oh, we're done with that hard stuff. Right. everything's right. fine now yeah yeah totally. i wish <laughs> but, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> so that's the real deal everybody um all right well thank you again for being here with us today and i will see you all next week <laughs>